So this evening, I wanted to continue uh, our discussion of the three refuges. Um, last week, we spoke about the about taking refuge and about the three jewels or the three gems, uh, namely the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And you'll recall that we we talked last time of how the refuges are sort of how one becomes a Buddhist. Uh, you can think of it the the same choice that other folks make, you know, maybe when they join the join a church or a synagogue or a temple. Um, the the refuges are how one sort of makes a choice to become a Buddhist. Um, it's a commitment to to follow this path that the Buddha took before us. Um, and that taking refuge, you know, and emphasizing that word taking, uh, not only means finding solace amidst life's uncertainty, um, sometimes following, you know, some kind of big event in our lives when we're, we're looking for something a bit more stable. Uh, but taking refuge means taking the refuges along with us. <laughs> I made that comparison between a, a lean-to in the woods that may stay there for a long period of time versus a tent that you take with you. Both can be a refuge, but the the language around taking refuge is, is an action of taking and going with these refuges, these three refuges. And last week we spoke about the first refuge, which is the Buddha. Uh, meaning not only the historical Buddha, um, but also in our own Buddha nature, our Tathagata Garda, our, our own ability to awaken that seed of liberation within us and the ability to be free from suffering. And so this evening, I wanted to talk about the second refuge, which is the Dharma. And we can think of taking refuge in the Dharma through two lenses because the word Dharma has several meanings. Um, we often use Dharma to refer broadly to the teachings of the Buddha. You know, we think that the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, you know, the, the man, the teachings and the community is somehow you kind of roughly translate those. Um, but Dharma as a word is interesting because it can mean a lot of different things. And it can actually just mean the word things. You know, you'll you'll hear uh, some writings refer to, you know, the, the many dharmas, right? And by that, they might mean everything, you know, referring to literally everything that exists. Um, in the same way that some Chinese literature, like Taoist literature, will say the 10,000 things, you'll see that show up in, in works like the Tao Te Ching. Uh, where it's basically referring to everything, the 10,000 things, the, the countless innumerable things. Um, and so I wanted to reflect on taking refuge in the Dharma kind of through those two lenses. One, the Dharma as the teachings of the Buddha, but two, the Dharma as all the things, <laughs> right? All the Dharmas, the 10,000 things. But let's start with the the conventional interpretation around the dharma as the teachings of the buddha and there's a lot there right 2600 years plus um worth of teachings that have been uh, uh carried throughout the world uh, sprung up throughout the world you know you'll hear you'll hear us or or any any buddhist really talk about 
a variety of teachings. You know, I, I reference a lot of the lists um, that Buddhists have to kind of make some of these teachings easy to remember. So the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Skandhas, the Four Brahma Viharas, the Three Seals, uh, the Twelve Links of Dependent Origination, the Six Paramitas, right? So there's lots and lots of lists. And like I said, the, the lists kind of help make those things easier to remember, right? The Ten Commandments, um, you know, it's it's it allows us to refer to those things because they're in a very simple list form. Um, and also it kind of, in, in some ways, those, those lists and, and those teachings recognize the completeness of those teachings. So, you know, the five skandhas are five things that make up all people, right? The three seals, there are three qualities in a Buddhist teaching. Right. If a teaching has all three of those qualities, it's a Buddhist teaching. Um, the Eightfold Path, there are eight things to make sure that you're focused on as you're walking your path. So, <clears throat> and in addition to having a lot of lists, you know, unlike some other spiritual traditions, there's not just one book um, from which we get our teachings and that you would find, you know, there's not one one massive book that you would have all of those lists that I told you. They show up in a variety of different places, a variety of different sutras. Now, the the Dhammapada, you know, is a is a very popular um, Buddhist scripture. It's said to be the sayings of the Buddha, and so a lot of people will start there when they're looking for you know Buddhist scripture. They'll start with the the Dhammapada. Um, but there are lots of sutras, um, you know, the, the heart sutra, which we, we use a lot in our liturgies, um, and in part in some of our, our chanting, gate, gate, paragate, parasangate, bodhisattva is the, the end of the heart sutra. We chant that to, in, in a way, recite the entire heart sutra. It's relatively short as sutras go, but the heart sutra, you have the lotus sutra, the diamond sutra. The Lankavatara Sutra, the Flower Ornament Sutra, the Platform Sutra. So lots of scriptures, sutras um, that are Buddhist that have been written over the last, you know, two and a half thousand years. Um, or books within certain schools of Buddhism um, that we, you know, can take refuge in as teachings of the Buddha. You know, Dogen's Shobogenzo. Um or Nagarjuna's, and this is a tough one for me to pronounce, so I apologize if I get it wrong, but the, the Mula Madhyam, the Mula Madhyamaka Kakarika, which is Nagarjuna's sort of, uh, the, the doctrine of the middle way. Um, the Questions of King Linda, which is a book that I love. Uh, the Shoshinge, collections of koans, like the Gateless Gate, uh, or the Blue Cliff Record, and things like that. So there are lots of teachings <laughs> to to study you know ways to approach the dharma based on what people have learned and and you know reflected on and discovered over the centuries and this is in part because the buddha didn't just say like hey remember my words and you know only only ever study the words that i say right because the buddha was was very well known for telling us to not just take his word for it like test it right the buddha started his journey 
to figure this out. Why do we suffer and can we stop suffering? And so he was teaching, you know what? Here's what worked for me. Here's what I found to be true. But I want you to just not take my word for it. I want you to test this as well. And that testing has given rise to lots of different um, teachings, you know. And they're all centered around the same doctrine. Again, that's why we have our three seals, right? You know, to, to make sure that we're, we're uh, all kind of <clears throat> focused on the same thing, right? Um, but people testing these teachings out for themselves, you know, has given rise to teachers continuing to talk what it means or talk about what it means to see clearly and to wake up and so the buddhist teachings the dharma are continuing to grow that's given rise to you know many wonderful flavors and faces of buddhism um you know that may vary depending on you know where you grew up um you know and how you encountered the the teachings and whether it was through a a local teacher you know, maybe you came out to one of our liturgies sometime or, um, <clears throat> you know, spend some time chatting with Osho Mike uh, during the Monday evening liturgies or, or with Sensei Tony at one of our uh, liturgies. Um, or maybe you encountered Buddhism through an author and lots of wonderful authors have written about Buddhism over the years. Um, some of, you know, many of which are on my shelves behind me, but, you know, people like Alan Watts the the self-proclaimed spiritual entertainer um shunryu suzuki bernie glassman very important uh teacher in in our order uh the dalai lama or shinran or dainin katagiri joseph goldstein uh kusala bhikshu the wonderful uh monk who runs a podcast that i'll sometimes listen to brad warner um, a Zen Buddhist teacher with a, a really funny Instagram uh, uh, feed. Uh, Ken McLeod, our own Tony Stoltz, Sensei Tony, right? Um, or maybe through a college class or a documentary or Kung Fu movies where you heard them talking about Buddhism or, you know, espousing wisdom of the East and it made you kind of seek. And the beautiful thing is that despite these many paths, that you can come to awakening or these many scriptures that you can read or the many schools that have arisen over time and the countless teachers that have, have, uh, uh, you know, come before or alive now, or will come in the future. Right. Despite all those many paths, we're not fighting with each other, trying to convert each other. Right. We, we can appreciate the tapestry of, of the, you know, that we weave, through all of these books and teachers and traditions and, and, you know, that we walk this path together, but in our own unique ways. And that's okay. That's lovely. Right. And I'll talk about that togetherness and that community a bit more in my next talk on the third refuge, the, the Sangha. Um, but so taking refuge in the Dharma, what does that mean? It means accepting all of the past teachings as lamps on our path, right? Maybe we walk a path where we don't pass by some of those lamps. You know, we never read those books or encounter those teachers. That's okay. 
but accepting all of those teachings, taking refuge in those teachings as lamps along our path and acknowledging that more paths will be lit as people continue to reflect and to write, you know, and our own path is here to teach us and is an opportunity to wake up little by little because our daily experiences can be our greatest teachers. And that leads me to the the second lens of taking refuge in the Dharma that I wanted to talk about. And that's so the Dharma is all the things, the many Dharmas, the 10,000 things, right? So we can think of the Dharma more broadly than just the teachings. You know, it's it's a path, right? And teachings are a path as well. We can think of the teachings as a, as a path. And we often think of the path as being something narrow, right? Kind of confined. A track of dirt or macadam through the wilderness that kind of shows us where to go. And that's in part what the Dharma is. But the Dharma's, you know, as a path is everything. And here's how I, I mean that. You know, everything that we do is our practice, right? Now that path may be unique to you, but everything that you do is your practice. Everything that I do is a part of my practice, right? Whether I'm on, you know, <laughs> feeling on as a Buddhist, really feeling Buddhisty today, you know, whether I'm on the cushion or not, that's the Dharma, that's my path. Whether I'm in my robe, wearing my kesa, or you know malas, that's that's my path. Whether I'm on retreat or feeling good after meditating, everything is my practice, on and off the cushion. Right, it's all the dharma. It's all that path. The whole thing, all the things. Right, how I treat my family, how I treat my friends, how I treat my enemies. That's my practice, right? I can't pick and choose and say, well, I was practicing when I was being a good person, but I wasn't practicing when I was being a bad person. It's all, it's all one thing. It's all the Dharma, our Dharma, right? How we treat those who have passed on, how we treat those who've yet to come to being. It's oneness, right? No minute is a waste of time. No place is worthless. No person is unworthy of our time. Everything can teach us something. We can learn something from every step on that path. And there's nothing to reject or ignore. And so taking refuge in the Dharma is to understand that we're walking the path right now. If you're watching this video, this is part of the path. This is your Dharma. We've always been walking, right? And we can do so attentively and deliberately with compassion. Or we can walk the path like a raging bull in a china shop. And if we recognize that, there's an implicit accountability in acknowledging your path, your dharma as a path to awakening. It's your path, right? So you can't blame other people when you get stuck. 
right? It's not your boss's fault. It's not your family's fault or your spouse's fault or your kids or the government's or any other group of people that sometimes get blamed for problems like based on gender or race or nationality or religion. It's your dharma. It's your path. So when we take refuge in the dharma, we're carrying with us not only the teachings of those who've come before, reflecting on them, you know, recalling them maybe in enlist form to apply to things that we encounter. It means exploring new teachings, continuing to learn. You know, maybe there was a, a, a teacher or an author or a, a sutra that I named earlier. It's like, I wonder what that is. You know, that's taking refuge in the Dharma, in those teachings, right? The teachings of those who've come before. Exploring those teachings. Or maybe even reflecting and making your own offering. You know, it's what we do as part of these Dharma talks, right? Trying to offer a, a bit of reflection on the teachings that have come before, but also on all the things, right? Tying the two together, recognizing that they're all one thing. They can all teach us. And that's what we mean when we talk about taking refuge in the Dharma. It's the teachings and everything else. So I hope that that is helpful, maybe challenging. Uh, but I, I hope that this offering benefits your practice as you go forth and walk your path.